Before we start this podcast, do you know a stroke survivor that's currently socially isolated? Someone that might benefit from spending some time with a professional actor delivering a live reading service to them. If you do, Interact have launched an exciting new project called Interact at Home, where we deliver a live reading service directly into people's homes using technology such as Zoom, but we can also do it via the good old-fashioned telephone too. If this is something of interest to you or someone you know, further details can be found at our website, www.interactstrokesupport.org or simply Google Interact at Home, Interact Stroke Support. And what's more, during the trial phase, we're offering this service free of charge. So please let people know. That's Interact at Home, and further details are available from our website. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Right Side of the Brain, the arts and health podcast created by Interact Stroke Support. Our guest this week is Ian Talbot. Ian is an actor and theatre director and is the former director of the Regent's Park Open Air Theatre. He was nominated for a Laurence Olivier Theatre Award in 2001 for Best Director for The Pirates of Penzance. Ian was awarded the OBE in 2008 for his services to drama. He's also the chairman of Intrax Stroke Support. Ian is in conversation with Megan Mackay-Smith. We, we can just get cracking then and um, probably you probably Neil JLM will use some some chat from the start just that um, he always tends to do that so we just sort of click record and we let it go so it doesn't feel like a now you're being interviewed um, but like Very I said good. in the email rather just um, rather just a conversation so I am really really thrilled um, to be speaking to you Ian Talbot um, welcome to Right Side of the Brain um, Ian you are Actor, director, artistic director, chairman of Interact, extraordinaire, sort of, um, which I'm sure that you, you'll be embarrassed about me saying. Um, we always kind of start at the beginning, if that's okay with you. Um, could you yeah. tell us a little bit about where you grew up and whether a career in theatre was sort of always on the cards for you? Yeah, I was born in Isha, in Surrey. Um, <clears throat> I always took part in the school plays. But I didn't really ever entertain the idea that I would go into the theatre because my middle-class background, you just didn't do that. I had two older brothers. Um, one became a buyer in a department store and the other one became a state agent. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and I was on the tennis court playing for the school. I went to a secondary modern school. And um, I think everybody has a teacher that they remember. And my teacher was a Miss Muriel Knight who came down to the tennis court and said, Talbot, they're auditioning for the Central School of Speech and Drama. You've got to apply. Um, I'll wait until you finish this set. So I did, and it was sort of a <laughs> deadline. Uh, and to be honest, 
unless you, even if you recited the uh, telephone directory, you'd get in because of the ratio of women to men, because um, there were only four, and it was the teaching course, not the acting course. Um, okay. And my father bought that. He said, oh, good, you're going to be a teacher. And sadly, um, during my course at Central, my father died, and the oh. head of... Um, one of the head of acting at Central, a man called Harry Moore, who was married to the voice coach Cicely Berry, came up right. to me and said, Ian, you could act if you want to, but don't tell them that on the course because you'll lose your grant. It was in the days when you could get a grant. Right. So I didn't. And of course, to my horror, I got a distinction. And I got a part of the distinction was to have a placement. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to act by them, but I, I didn't know how to say it. Anyway, cutting a long story short, I went for a swim in Isha, a friends of my father's, and they're both dead, so I can say their names, called Bill and Mouse Court. Mm. And she sadly was alcoholic, um, and she'd had a few. And she said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to act, but I don't think I can because I didn't do any of the end of um, term show, you know, so the agents came. I didn't do any of that. And she said, hang on a minute. And she went off and she came back and she said, now, I used to know the manager of the Garrick uh, Theatre, Ian, and I knew that he'd embezzled some money. And I said, I'll keep my mouth shut, but one day I'm going to call you in a favour. And Ian, <laughs> you're the favour. So I said, what do you mean? She said, you start in Barrow in Furness as an assistant stage manager a week on Monday. And that's how I got into the theatre. And it's almost like the master, wow. isn't it? That, I, I was going to say that is so Godfather. We owe you a favour. <laughs> That's brilliant. And um, I set off for Barrow and Furness, which, as you know, is on a peninsula. And I was there for six weeks. And the man in charge was an eminent director called Giles Haverville. Mm -hmm. And he, he was playing Dracula. He was very tall. He was in it. And he, there he was with big boots and dressed as Dracula. And I said, hello, my name's Ian Talbot. My, I've come to be an assistant stage manager. And he said, um, have you got any digs? And I said, no. He said, well, go and find some. And I couldn't. And I came back. And he said, I said, I, I couldn't find anywhere to stay. He said, we better sleep in the theatre tonight. And I can honestly say it was the most terrifying night I've ever spent. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a windy night and it was wet and the theatre was very old. And I didn't sleep a wink because of all the creaks and the noises. And I said, I can't do that again. And then I stayed with a nice lady. Um, and that's how I got into the theatre. That is absolutely not what I was expecting in such a brilliant story. Um, I suppose jumping, jumping a little bit forward and then we'll go back. Do you think somebody who wanted to get into the theatre these days could even have an experience like that to get into the theatre? Or do you think that was very much of its time? I think it was very much of its time. Um, I think now, anybody who goes to drama school, they have to get qualifications. I mean, it's really hard. Uh, and it's like really the demarcation then between stage management and actors. Uh, you mm -hmm. did your time as a stage manager, and then if you were good enough, they took you into the company. Um, yeah. And now you didn't. You are, Now you train as a stage manager, you train as a designer or as an actor. So it's all very different. And... I'm just very relieved I'm not starting now. Really? So I think it's really hard for young people now. It's, it's awful. Yeah. 
I mean, I went to, so I went to drama center, um, five years ago now I, I graduated and I have to say, um, it's really hard to not be a little bit cynical, um, about, about the whole industry. And sort of, we had people who came in to speak to us, um, and just, um, you know, whether or not it was nostalgia, but I don't think it was their stories of how they got into the theater um, and kind of their first jobs just seemed so much more exciting and kind of the stories that we hoped that we would have getting into the theater. And I think the, um, you know, the, the gap between their reality and ours was, uh, was quite sad actually. Um, yeah. Well, interestingly enough, and Caroline Smith, who started um, Interact, uh, she went to Central and we were both there when there was the big split and Drama Centre mm. was invented. So yeah. you're, oh, wow. you're, you're a product of that split. Yeah, I, well, of course, now it's it's gone it's gone completely under, hasn't it? I think it'll be closing this year. So um, a, a real shame, you know, a real shame. Yeah. Um, so you said you started then as an assistant stage manager. How did you make yeah. the leap from, from that into acting? Well... Those are the days that, as I said, if you served a number of weeks, you then got to play perversely. I mean, I was, what, 19 when I went to Barrow and Furness, and um, you started to be taken into the company. I can remember, for example, in the Cherry Orchard, the, the ancient butler fears. I played him, and I was 19, and I remember once playing Old Gobbo to a man at Farnham Rep who was playing Young Gobbo, and he was about... 20 years older than me. So you were given the you were given the dregs, really, and you were taken into the company. And then, um, as I said, Giles Havergal was running Barrow and Furness, and he then start, went mm -hmm. to Watford. And I think with this business now, and I think it still exists, it's uh, the first job is comparatively easy. I think after the first job, it's the second one because you get a little bit choosy and you think, no, mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. Um, and I went into the company at Watford, and then I think I got into Farnham, where I met Caroline mm. Smith. Um, but going back to Central, really, I think I've got to thank my father because uh, doing the teaching course, when I first started, it paid the mortgage. And I used to do supply yeah. teaching. And I say immodestly, I'm a good mm. teacher, but only in short bursts. I admire teachers, and that's their career. I couldn't do that. But if I used to go in and say, uh, for four or five weeks, and then another job perhaps will come up. I was good, and I used to bribe kids. Um, and so my my late wife, Liz Gebhardt, was in a hit series called Please Sir, and I'd say, you keep, keep your mouth shut, do this bit of work, and then we can have five minutes, and you ask me questions about Please Sir. So I always thank Liz for that. I got away with it. Yeah. And, and it worked, I'm assuming, that they did their work. Yeah. Yeah, because when you're then when you're a supply teacher, um, you get the poor kids that have really been neglected. And I did want to teach them something, but you know, I can remember one of the most successful classes I did was to. They said you've got to cover maths, and they're awful. This was in Ballam, and I went in and um, I said, "Do you don't like maths?" They said, "What's the point of doing maths?" And I suddenly thought of the idea of a betting shop, and I don't understand what Yankees are and double up and all that, but they did. And I said, do you realize how complicated this is what you're doing? And we did an a improvisation around a betting shop. And the maths teacher came and he said, I can't believe you've done that. But uh, So it was just using drama. And I did a lot of gratification out of that. And I liked the kids. 
Um, and I still like young people. And I think I'm very lucky. Yeah. You know, I, I love it when uh, I've given people their first job or whatever. And it's nice. It's rewarding. It's incredible to... Um... Obviously, we know and are slightly biased, maybe working in the theatre, but how you hear that, don't you, a lot, how drama is, it can help with a lot of other subjects. Um, but I think it's, it's such a perfect example of putting that into action because um, sometimes people might think, how? How can, can drama help with other things? But like you just said, if um, it's a great way to engage to engage people who maybe otherwise don't see why something's relevant to them, isn't it? Yeah, and also they've been told that they were useless. To, you know, yeah. just shut up and be quiet. And they weren't useless. They were nice, bright kids. Mm. They'd been, uh, yeah. Anyway, I did do teaching for about, and it was before mobiles. So I mm. remember I used to phone at lunchtime and say, is the agent phoned? No, <laughs> to a telephone box. No, okay, I'll do another week. <laughs> Can I ask, because um, it's amazing, a lot of actors, obviously, when they, when they start acting, and even when they're more established, they do have other jobs on the side. Um, sometimes people have um, sort of horror stories about it. So it's really nice to hear that you were quite fulfilled, um, you know, with with your side job. What would you say was, um, yeah, with that in mind, what would you say was the most challenging thing about, about being an actor and what was the thing that you enjoyed the most? Well, in I just really skipped many, many years and just explained that I... Yeah. I hadn't acted for a bit. And last year I was in a musical called Adrian Mole. Mm. And um, I realised what, if I missed anything of being an actor, is what goes on off stage, not on stage. Right. And it's a chat. And mm. I think that's what's so awful at the moment, that people aren't mixing with their own type, really. And they, yeah. uh, uh, we'll probably get onto it. I have done something else recently acting, but um, that's... That is what we are a tribe, and I think you might not see an actor for five years even, mm -hmm. and then you suddenly bump into them, or you're in the same company, and you just pick it up like it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't. I think that's a great privilege. I think I've always said that acting is the most privileged job in the world. If you're working, if you're not working, it's soul destroying. And yeah. uh, whenever I've taught in drama schools, I said, if you can't accept rejection, you have to get out of it. Because sometimes the rejection is nothing to do with your talent. Mm -hmm. It's the person who's sitting behind the desk, might be hung over, or it's the wrong time of day that you go in and you just don't fit the bill. But you've mm -hmm. just got to just wipe it off and say, okay, on to the next. So it's the it's the... Uh, I do. I love making an audience laugh as an actor. Mm -hmm. I like timing. I like it, the control of it mm -hmm. to lead them up the garden path and then come out with a, a punchline. Uh, that to me is magic. I think it is very, very sad in terms of that. Uh, you know, it's it can be quite a, a lonely job anyway when you're out of work. So then to get to get those times when you're in work and that feeling of camaraderie, which isn't even happening now. So I think it is quite a difficult time to be to be an actor for sure I, I think it's awful in terms of so you mentioned about um which is really interesting and I want every actor to hear that about sometimes it's not about your talent um you know did you did that sort of help you because obviously you you ran your career as a director and as an actor sort of simultaneously and and I know that you directed and then you went back to acting did that sort of help you as an actor if you were getting rejection um, that you'd worked as a director and you sort of knew how it worked on the other side? Yeah, I think uh, 
running forward. I do feel that now. But I, I was, uh, well, supply teacher and just an actor. Um, and then the only time I suddenly, I did win the Carol Jenner Prize at Central for directing mm. the, the third year, I used to direct the first year. Mm. And that was my first real attempt at directing. And then I did go to a couple of drama schools and direct, but I hadn't really directed um, at all. I, I earned my living uh, um, as an unknown actor. And I think that was a blessing. Nobody knew who I was. Mm. Um, and I've always been a character actor. And, I, I, and it was in the days when you joined the company for eight, nine months. So you, you know, like I went yeah. to Liverpool Playhouse, played some wonderful parts. Um, Farnham Rep, I played some wonderful parts. Uh, it, it was companies, but now it's much more you go and do one play. Um, I think the audiences like the repertory system as well, seeing you yeah. play a look off one week and then a lead the next week, yeah. Yeah, we'll probably, um, again, jumping a little bit forward, but since you brought up rep, I definitely know that people talk about the decline of repertory theatre um, as a real sort of terrible thing, not just for actors, but for theatre in general. Um, I'm assuming you maybe think that's the case or kind of what what have you seen the big changes um, when, when the repertory theatre has declined? Well, I, it's such a cliche and I'm sure everybody groans, but I do think you learn your craft. I, uh, uh, when you're allowed to go into a company, I always equate it like you learn to drive with the driving instructor. And the first time really you learn to drive is when you go out on your own and you say to your driving instructor, do I turn left or right? And you think, oh God, no, I'm on my own. I've got to do it. And yeah. I think that's it really. And I, I don't know whether you felt this at drama school, but the, the teachers that had been in the business were the ones that were valuable. I I do agree, and I think that um, with you saying about your time teaching, I think that it's um, and maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but I think it's really important that you don't have a sense of bitterness teaching, and that you go into it because you love the profession rather than it was the only option left for you. Because I think it's really hard to inspire people from that from that mindset, you know. I agree. It it is yeah. it is hard. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, the repertory. Uh, this sounds conceited. Unless you were really, really hopeless, there were lots of jobs. <laughs> now, I mean, really, you, you could go off to <clears throat> so many reps and so on, and, and that thing of the bonhomie and the friendship and so on. Um, mm. So I think you had to be pretty bad not to get a job. <laughs> I mean, I, you've got to remember, I was at drama school 1961 to 64, so yeah. you're going back quite a long time. Yeah. But now I think mm. it's, I think there are opportunities for work, but it's a totally different kind of work. Um, yeah. and, and it upsets me when I go to a drama school and perhaps I'm doing a production and I say, what is your ambition? And they say, to be in a soap or whatever. Yeah. Well, I then point out to them, yeah, that's fine. But very few people leave a soap and then get more work. That is their moment. Mm. Um I, somebody told me once that you have one moment, definitive moment, when enjoy it. I don't know what mine was, or perhaps it's going to come. Uh, but I think that's probably true, where you get a golden moment. I suppose yeah. mine was when I was, at, um, I was just leaving the RSC. I was in an iconic production of Merry Wise of Windsor. Mm. Um, I'd been offered taking over the open air theatre in Regent's Park. Mm -hmm. And I was 
took over the lead in a play called Lend Me a Tenor. I still have three jobs on the go. And I suppose, yes, that must be. I mean, it was extraordinary. It, it was for about a month I was juggling balls. Yeah, I had my first board meeting in the um, my dressing room at the Gielgud Theatre. I'm jumping the gun. But anyway, yeah, I've been extremely lucky. One thing I, I was going to ask you in terms of... Um... I suppose it's not just a, a, um, a today's problem because obviously you, not a problem, but um, but you said how you had three jobs on the go. Um, a lot of actors now, they're sort of encouraged to write, to produce, to direct. Um, and I know um, just from my own experience, people I've spoken to can find it a little bit stressful or that, um, that their acting is sort of, um, you know, they can't focus on the craft of acting as much. How did you spin all of those plates um, and, you know, successfully as well, I, I will add. Um, <sighs> what, what was that like sort of on the day to day? How did you compartmentalise? I, I don't know. Um, my wife, Claire, says that I like to be um, under pressure mm. and I quite like the brain working overtime. I've always liked that. So maybe I'm a bit of a workaholic. I don't know. Uh, it. I was extremely lucky because uh, I had I was a jobbing actor and uh, I had quite a nice career that I would go to the open air theatre in Regent's Park as an actor, do a season there, play some wonderful parts. And then in every Christmas, I used to play Toad in Toad of Toad Hall in London. Yeah. And then I'd do little bits of telly and uh, or the odd rep job or so on. So there was a sort of pattern and I did that for 10 years. Um, and I have to thank Liz, as I mentioned before, my late wife, that because she was earning quite good money on Please Sir, mm. I was allowed to go off for a pittance to some rep and play Iago. Or, I mean, I think now, I could never remember that, but I did actually play Iago. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I was privileged because uh, I Liz was paying the bills, really. Um, how did I juggle it? What happened was that I was at the RSC. I went there for five years and played quite nice parts. Just before I went, uh, David Conville, who used to run the open air theatre, asked me if I would be his assistant to run the theatre. And I was in his office when the call came to go to the RSC. And I went and I enjoyed the touring and I played some lovely parts. And then in my last year there, David appeared in Stratford and said, um, I'm going to leave the Open Air Theatre. I'm going to be chairman, but I'm going to give it up. Would you like to take it over? Well, I mean, that wouldn't happen now. You'd have to go in front of, I don't know how many boards, um, mm. health and safety, everything, everything, you know, quite rightly. And I said, but I'm a jobbing actor. Uh, he said, well, the main thing is you love the open air theatre, and it, it's a hell of a place to run, mm. and you've got a passion for it. So I said, well, can I think about it? And I went back. Uh, we were staying in a village called Ilmington. I said to Liz, I've been asked to run the open air theatre. I mean, it's nonsense. Well, and she said, well, uh, yeah, I think it's nonsense. And that sort of put my back up, and I thought, well, the worst that can happen is I fail. Mm. And if I do fail, I'll go back to being a jobbing actor. And so I said, yes, I would. I'd like to do it. And mm. he, they said, right, well, your contract will be for three years and then we'll review it. Right. I'm going to say something now, which I hope the person I'm going to mention won't mind. I lied, actually, because once <laughs> I got the job, the board said, 
uh, we're very, very pleased you're doing it. And if you uh, succeed after three years, we'll let you direct a production. And I thought, well, I've signed on to be an accountant. I, I, I don't want to do that. <clears throat> so when I was at the RSC, that distinguished director, Roger Michel, and I wrote a review that started the fringe at the RSC, and I'm proud that we did that. Anyway, mm -hmm. I phoned him and said, would you direct Love's Labour's Lost? And he said, well, I can't. So I said, why? He said, well, I'm doing a film. I said, well, will you say you're going to direct him? So this all happened in the dressing room of the Guild Theatre. And I said, um, and, you know, they all knew I'd got Roger Michel. And I said, I've got some terrible news. Roger Michel suddenly has been offered a film and he can't do it. And they all went, well, what, what are we going to do? And I said, look, it's a gamble, but if you want me to direct it, I'll step in. And they said, yeah. I mean, my heart was going like this. And I, I did it. So I found my way in, really. Really? <laughs> thank God. It was a big success. Yeah. And then then every year I directed one and mm -hmm. I was in one. But that's when I really learned new skills of being a producer and um, a director, really. So, but I, yeah, I got yeah. in from life. So, so it's luck, isn't it? It's, well, it's luck and it's having the bottle to, to ask for things as well, isn't it? And also, I suppose, as well, a, a passion that, that people recognise, isn't it? They obviously knew that, um, you know, that you had a passion for the open air theatre and theatre in general, yeah. I suppose. So, um, yeah. yeah. You know, um, what was, uh, so you were directing as well as being the artistic director at, at the time, is that? So you were the artistic director of the theatre and then you were directing shows within that, is that right? Yes, I would always direct one, and then I'd always be in one. And oh, wow. I, so I was an actor manager. And when I was at the RSC, Mark Rylance got one of his first jobs, mm -hmm. and he was then running the Globe. Mm -hmm. And he was extraordinarily supportive because I would ring him and say, look, because we didn't have any money then. I said, I've, I've got to do Midsummer Night's Dream again because that's the one that fills the theatre and it will sub a bit like Panto in theatres and sadly that looks like it's gone this year. Um, yeah. And he would say, okay, I won't do this play and I won't do that. So, and he was an actor manager as well and we've remained mm -hmm. firm friends. But uh, yeah, I, and I, I was a better... Um, I was a, I ran a company better when I was in one because if it was pouring with rain mm. and I went out there and got wet, they couldn't really grumble, could they? They couldn't say, it's all right for him, he's gone home. Yeah, that's, um, it's sort of like, you know, the, the head of the business mopping the floors as well, isn't it? And then the other staff sort of can't complain. Um, well, I got the audience to do that sometimes when it rained. <laughs> I remember one musical... And you couldn't continue until you dried the stage. And I said, right, I've got about um, 12 mops here. Anybody going to come up and help me? <laughs> but I, that, it's changed now. And I think the people who run it now, Tim Cheetah and William Village, are fantastic. And I think it's gone from strength to strength. But I didn't run it like that. It was like a big rep. Which, um, yeah, is, is magnificent. Um, one of the things that I was going to ask as well in terms of um, an open air theatre, um, which I don't think, I don't think I popped this question in, but just as we were talking, um, what was the main differences, I suppose, one, being an actor in the open air theatre as opposed to, to any other theatre, and two, kind of programming for an open air theatre in the UK, um, what, what were 
what would you say the main differences are as opposed to programming for for an indoor theater well you although tim and william have proved me wrong i thought there were some plays that you couldn't do in the open air mm. i i stress that running the open air theater does have its stress side but you've got to remember it was only a three and a half month season and people who are artistic directors of a theater that's operating for 52 weeks of the year i don't know whether i could have done that mm. um i did know that if i after a season went off to do a play um the director as an actor say uh, uh, the director would often say, do you, do you think you could lower your voice a bit? Because we didn't have any mics then. Yeah. And uh, I used, I didn't have any problem projecting, but I didn't realise how, how hard I was <laughs> shouting. Other actors were sitting there going, what's he on? Yeah. Oh, well, it's... Um, it, oh. I, I, think that I, I think that what I did learn in the open air, that you, you've got to have a clear thought. Of course, in rehearsal, you explore different options, but you have to make up your mind. It doesn't mean you're inflexible on stage because mm. every performance is different. But when people said, oh, you've got to be broad and big in the open air, I don't think that's true. I think subtleties still came through. You had to project, mm. like you did in theatres when touring theatres before, you know. I mean, mm. I can't believe it when they introduced um, mics at the Olivier. I, I, to me, that was an enigma. I just... but. That now it's accepted that you, you know, and I've directed, I won't name, but I directed a production recently and it was a one person show. And the person said, Well, I will be on a radio mic. Went out and I said, No, you won't. No. And it wasn't wow. a big theatre, but it frightened her. The thought wow. she said, but Anyway, I think they've, people have forgotten that skill. Projection. Yeah. I was, do you think that it's still. Is it a case of that it's maybe not being taught or not as much emphasis in, in the drama schools because they know about the mics? Or do you feel yeah. like, yeah, do you? I do. I think, yeah. um, and I think it's frowned upon um, if you project in theatre. But I, I did a terrible tour of a play called The Miracle Worker with Pat Phoenix, who mm. was the first Coronation Street star to go out on the road. And whenever I'd gone on tour before, I'd played these big theatres and I thought, what barns they are. But of course, sadly, those tours weren't full. But with Pat Phoenix, you couldn't get a seat. It was packed. And those matching theatres, you realised acoustically, they were incredible. You could whisper and be heard, mm -hmm. especially when the, the auditorium was full. New theatres now that I go to sometimes, I think acoustically, they're not good. Right. You know, and that's part of the problem, I think. It's mm -hmm. harder. I was going to ask you to name them there, and then I realised we probably shouldn't do that because I thought, oh, that would be so interesting to know which which theatres. Um, but we won't. I, I better not. We won't. We won't drop anybody in it. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before about uh, you played Toad as well. Um, each each Christmas. Um, and I noticed um that you directed quite a few pantomimes as well. Um, maybe I'm sort of speaking from my limited knowledge but from people I speak to there is still definitely a divide between sort of serious theatre and then pantomime um, and I really love the fact that you'd bridge the gap between the two both in your acting and directing um, is is it wrong that we do that is it wrong that we say serious theatre and pantomime uh, yeah I think that barrier was slightly broken when Ian McKellen did a pantomime dame at the old Vic and I think suddenly they thought, 
oh, he's because it is a different craft. Mm. And I think that people, I, I get annoyed when sometimes um, people say, oh, well, I'm really hard. I better do a pantomime then. Mm. And they realize 12 shows a week, God, you've got to have stamina. <clears throat> um, and it isn't a walkover by any means. I think it was the same when I started. There was a definite um, divide between musical theatre and straight theatre. Yeah. And I think that's gone because I think in drama schools, I think students who leave drama school now are multi-talented. Lots of them can mm. play instruments, they can sing, they can dance. And it, it, it wasn't like that then. Um, I think <clears throat> I believe strongly in pantomime that it's got to have a good story. And I have worked with some iconic actors from America and so on who mm. just thought and been paid a fortune. Yeah. And... Uh, they just say, okay, well, come on. I said, no, you can't. You've got to act this bit. Um, this is serious because there's a three-year-old out there that will believe it. And if you don't play that seriously, it's just a variety show. So I, and I don't, mm. I love doing mine for that reason. I love seeing families come in and, and, and jumping the gun. But what I, when I was saying about acting, I've just filmed a pantomime. Oh, okay. In, in Peter Duncan's garden. Mm -hmm. Peter Duncan from Blue Peter, and he had this idea. So I co-directed it with him, and I played the squire. Yeah. And it saved my life during this lockdown because we had such fun. It's five minutes up the road for me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going on sale at Christmas, and I think it may save a lot of family Christmases, you know. Uh, okay, after Christmas lunch, we can all sit down and watch a pantomime. I think it's a brilliant idea. It was his baby. But that, I enjoyed acting that, yeah. Uh, I've been in one other pantomime at Hornchurch Rep when I was Buttons in Cinderella, and I never knew when to come in. And the actress playing Cinderella, I had to sing, Why do birds suddenly <laughs> appear? And I never knew when to come in. So she used to hold my hand and then squeeze it. I was like a puppet. <laughs> and I played the emperor once when um, with some American stars. But mm. otherwise, I directed, yeah. I think it's... um. Even sort of the the stigmas disappearing a little bit more now, isn't it? But I think it's it's so much harder actually to make people laugh, um, and I think comedy and especially pantomime is a hugely underrated skill because to entertain children and adults in the same room um, is is a really amazing skill actually. No, it is, and you can uh, as a child. Um... I used to go and see pantomime and I'd see wonderful dames like Terry Scott, Arthur Askey, Les Dawson. Mm. Um, and it is a definite skill. And it isn't just putting on a lady's dress and then it, because that the whole joke of a dame is you're ne you never forget it's a man dressed as a woman. Like mm. if you have in the play Charlie's Aunt, mm -hmm. somebody, and if you for one minute thinks that Fancourt Babley is enjoying being in that dress. The whole play goes down the swanny. You've got to feel that he's uncomfortable, that he's having to dress up as a woman mm -hmm. to play this art. And then it's funny, but, and you never forget that the dame is, um, is a man. Yeah. So. Have you, um, have you seen, uh, I, I guess with more, um, with more sort of clear cut boundaries coming in about what's appropriate and what's not in the theater now, do you think we'll see a change in terms of pantomime and the, the sort of men dressed up as women, or do you think that it will remain as such? 
Uh, I don't know. My first father-in-law was American. I once tried to explain to him the tradition of um, pantomime, and he just couldn't get his head around it. I mean, I think it's a peculiarly British institution, and I, I hope it doesn't change. Um, and I think, sadly, with the situation we're in now, I, I think lots that lots of pantomimes won't happen. And I was mm. going to direct one at Wimbledon, and I don't think that's going to happen. Um, really? But it's a, it's it's a family outing. It's it's you can see, and I mean, if you if you watch the audience in the pantomime, the grandparents really rarely look at the stage. They're just watching the grandchildren that's, because yeah. they're getting such pleasure out mm. of seeing. And I, I say with pantomime that it is a responsibility because even if four people, four kids from one performance go to the theatre and are hooked, that is a great achievement. For sure. Well, I know a lot of a lot of actors in um you know in their in interviews when they say when did you first go to the theatre? Their first experience of the theatre is a pantomime with their with their parents or grandparents. A lot of actors. Um yeah. it's quite a formative experience, isn't it, for a lot of for a lot yeah. of people who go into the theatre. And there's a feeling of excitement and uh yeah, it is yeah. um I'm a great fan. Well, obviously, because I've directed so many of them. I was going to ask, can we, um, will it be streamed, um, will it be on TV, the, the pantomime that you said you you filmed? It, you can buy it online. You can buy it online. And okay. then, and it's, you, know, you can buy it online um, and it's shown from the 5th of December until the 7th of January and you can show it as many times as you like. Um, oh, I'm good. doing a good plug here. But it's it's No, do a good plug. Honestly, times, we absolutely... Um, we absolutely need more laughs, I think, and especially around Christmas if we're all going to be in our houses. So plug it and then um, and we'll we'll grab a link and then when the podcast comes out we can uh, we can let people know where to get it. That's amazing. Great. Um Great. little bit of a change now, because I just want to ask you quickly about Interact, because obviously we know you as well as the chairman of um of Interact Stroke Support. Um I, I was gonna ask you if if you had a previous connection to it, but you did mention that you knew Caroline who started the charity. Is that how you got in with Interact? Yes. Um when I was at Farnham Rep. Caroline was um, Anthony Tucky's assistant, really, and then she took over running the theatre, and I worked for her quite a lot then, mm. and also I worked with her at Liverpool. And then when I was appointed at Regent's Park, I asked Caroline to come and direct there, which she did, mm. and then I remember her coming up to me in the bar after a performance and said, look, I'm thinking of starting this charity, um, and it's just an idea that's going on in my head, but would you consider being chair? And she's such a close friend. Mm. I said, of course I will. And I didn't quite realise the responsibility, <laughs> uh, but I'm really proud of it. Um, mm. And I can remember going to one award ceremony where Caroline, because she's such a modest person, mm. said, you come and then if we win, which we won't, but will you go up and accept it? And we did win best charity of the year that year and um i really admire caroline and the way it's grown mm. and i think it also does a service not only to the poor people who have had a stroke to the actors because you said earlier to me i had another vocation teaching mm. uh, it it's you know you feel you're doing something useful and we've yeah. now been approved that um conventional medicine said that we make a difference mm. uh, and I, 
it's gone from strength to strength and more and more people are recognizing this and under Neoj's um guidance it's expanded and it's getting bigger and bigger so it's mm. terrific he'll love that by the way when he's listening to this <laughs> well, I mean it. he's, he's always full of new ideas it's great he is um he is and it is um i mean i'm sure that you i don't know whether um as chairman as well you've ever gone to to read in in the hospitals or anything like that but you do see the difference that it makes and um i know especially when when i first joined i felt um you know maybe it's unfair to say but that at least acting was quite a, a selfish vocation for me um and then i sort of did it because i thought it was fun and then had um a bit of a crisis of confidence thinking how can I really justify this when there's, you know, when there's a million other things I could yeah. do? Um, and it definitely gave me, I don't know, sort of a renewed faith in how much people do love the theatre and how they love stories and how much joy that it actually does bring to people um, and how much it can it can help people in sort of a non, non-conventional way. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that... Um... People don't recognise, and I think if anything's come out of this awful period we're living through, is that people do miss the arts. They do, you know, yeah. it, it fulfils so many things in our lives that people just take for granted. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to tell my favourite interact joke now. Can I do that? Oh, please do, yes. <laughs> Mia Jay will groan. Um, <laughs> my wife, Claire, went to read, and it was relatively early days, and... Caroline said, oh, yes, do go and read there. And they weren't quite as strict about how you had to adhere to the material that's been sourced. Yeah. So Claire was given some material, but she chose to read um, War and Peace. And this poor man, so she read the first chapter of Mm -hmm. War and Peace, and he just sat there. And then as she left, she said, and next week I'm coming back, and I will read you chapter two. And he went, no! And... The matron, I don't need to call it the person who just said, This is a miracle. He hasn't uttered a word for six months. And obviously, the thought of Claire coming back reading War and Peace finished him off. But in a, in a stranger, it, it made me laugh. Um, and I've told that story so often. But in a strange way, it worked because then he did start to recover. Yeah. But Claire, Claire said it was my fault. But maybe by accident, but it made me laugh. The idea he thought. There's only one way to stop her coming back. <laughs> I have to. I love the, the idea that interacts helping, just not in the way that it intended to. You know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Please, yeah. the horror. But I think that what has happened with interact now, which I think you know, with our short story competition, and mm-hmm. I also think sourcing the material, that's something we learn. And I don't think when uh, Caroline and I embarked on this that we quite realised that you've really got to be careful what the material is and suit it to different people. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes you go and see a patient and realise that isn't for them. Um, yeah. And, and I think Nia Jay does a fantastic job doing that. And, and Caroline is still so much part of the charity. It's it's really interesting now to see, obviously, how people, um, people even, you know, you can just read the updates for, of the sports from the newspaper and things like that. And, but I did go in once and a, and a man asked me, um, and I sort of thought, oh, I would be offended if it wasn't so hilarious. And and he sort of sat in silence watching me read. I can't even remember. I think it was a, it, it wasn't a, a Roald Dahl story, but it was something, um, it was something sort of like of that ilk. And he just turned and looked at me and he said, have you got any dirty jokes? <laughs> 
I think I had some back in my brain and I thought, oh my goodness, because he was on a ward as well. And I thought if other people just see me with it, with a lanyard, just coming in and telling dirty jokes to this man and then leaving. Um, so I was really torn because part of me thought, well, that's what you'll hear. Give the man what he wants. He wants a good laugh in, in hospital, yeah. you know? Um, and I think there is a danger sometimes. And, and I definitely did it of sort of keeping the material quite, quite, light or quite sort of fluffy or quite and and really you forget that people had interests and senses of humor and all of these things that you know before they went into hospital that you've still got to bring out you know and you can't just read them sort of fluffy stories all the time can you no not at all and i think the length of a story is also important yeah some people want more some people want less Mm-hmm. But uh, I, and I think talking to some of the readers sometimes I don't know whether you felt this, but you learn who your patients are, and you yeah. like you say, oh, this is the guy who wants a dirty joke. I remember him. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you do, and mm-hmm. you build up a relationship. Yeah. I think what we're trying to do more and more is um, when hopefully a, a patient is on the way to recovery and goes home and so on, and we are thinking of going into homes now, but mm. just to spread the word and. Um, and uh, I think it's very gratifying when relations say, you've helped my husband or my wife so much and we thought there was nothing we could do. I mean, it is exciting. And bravo, Caroline Smith, for, in, you know, starting it all. A huge, huge bravo to her because it's, um, I mean, the, the, we've got an appeal as well, haven't we, at the moment on, on yes. BBC. Um, and I think it's, it's over 20 years now, isn't it, since the charity? Yeah, 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 yeah. Over 20 years. So, um. A, a huge testament to Caroline. Um, one last question for you before we go, um, which is probably going to open up a huge can of worms. Um, but in terms of you said, obviously now it's a difficult time for, for theatres. I think we could probably both agree it's a really difficult time for charities as well. Um, I mean, one thing just being the Interact obviously goes into hospitals, so we can't, we simply aren't doing the, the work um, that, that we normally could do. Um I, I, it's, it is a big question about how do you think um, theatres and charities will recover from the situation we're in or what can people do to help from, from your point of view? Um, I think uh, some, let's t- talk about theatre first of all. Mm. Uh, it has been said many times, I mean, this isn't the first pandemic that we've had. Mm. This is terrible, but um, we have recovered and you think, of uh, the Spanish flu and how many people died there. You think, and I know it's a different equation, but in the war, some theatres stayed open. The public, we touched on it briefly, really need the arts and the theatre and they feel safe. There's something about going into a theatre um, and sharing this mm-hmm. event. Of course, that's the thing that's frightening him at the moment, going into a theatre and sharing and, and, and until we get a vaccine or whatever, but it will bounce back. Yeah. And I think um, I had two tours on the road that were cancelled, and one of them is um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which is a real good feel musical. If any show will get people, you know, I mean, the end of Act One is the song I Will Survive. Well, that is what we're all trying to do. Mm. Um, I'm getting quite emotional about it because I... Yeah. So I do think it will bounce back. I think charities, um, we obviously all rely on donations and so on and interact so far, touch wood, we're doing okay. Um, as long as people that, and the benefactors will 
supporters, I think we will hang in there. But it's going to be a long process. But I don't think we should think, oh, that's the end of that. Mm-hmm. I think some of the bigger charities might suffer. Um, yeah. And I fear for their lives. And I don't quite know. Because they they rely on an income. Not We don't as much as others. Mm-hmm. I think one of our main... Um, gains is that we are comparatively small i know we're expanding but we are a pretty small charity as things go mm-hmm. so i i'm not going to give up hope and um i i think even saying this pantomime that i filmed i think you've only got to look at the arts to see how people are using their initiative they've just had mm-hmm. um the musical sleepless that um mm. i think ran at a loss but nevertheless they did it the national are now saying they're going to do performances um I think open air drive-in theatre. I think will happen. Yeah. I saw something on uh, Facebook about a drive-in um, performance of Pippin, where you drive mm. in in your car, four of you, you're safe, social distancing. But mm. people have got to be inventive. Um, and if I learned anything at the open air theatre, you have to be inventive because mm. when you go to a conventional theatre and they say, "Now we'll fly this in." And then we'll bring this car flying at the method. You have to rely on the text, which is more or less going back to how Shakespeare did. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to give up hope. I think it's really hard. I think people who, um, I'm lucky, I've got a garden. If we get another lockdown, I've got a lovely family. And I just feel for people cooped up in a flat and they can't get out. Um, and television is terribly important during this time and plays. And I read some survey that said plays are becoming more and more popular again. Not not soaps, mm. it's plays. And with Netflix, um, people say, "Oh, I've watched this box set." I know you can become a vegetable, but it's it's art. You know, we need it. Yeah, it's. Um, I suppose it's also given people slightly, well, at least some people, more free time to uh, to sit and spend an afternoon with a play that maybe they wouldn't have had. I, I, I don't know about you, I've read more. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I've even sort of, as much as I prefer going to see live theatre because they've done some streams and, and things like that. Um, and, you know, it sort of lessens the the commute time as well that you can sit down and do it at home. Um, I've definitely found myself probably consuming more art than I ever have um, because mm-hmm. I'm not constantly trying to, to to get work and to juggle things myself, you know. Um but it is worrying, and I think um, I I still have have a faith like you. But um, it's just sort of frightening. I, I mean, this is a whole other kind of worms to see how you know the arts haven't. I would argue haven't really been prioritised um, in terms well, of in terms of funding um, or anything, which is uh, which is obviously a real sort of fingers up, isn't it, to anybody who's chosen it as a career? I think. Um, I think it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I phoned my accountant because I'm VAT registered. He said, what did you earn in the last quarter? And I said, (laughs) £19.78. And he said, oh, no, go on, tell me. And I said, no, that's what I earned because I fell through the cracks. I I wasn't furloughed or anything. Now, I'm lucky. I get a pension at my age. But Mm. some people, I just don't know how they're existing. That's a huge phrase that people keep saying, isn't it? Falling through the cracks. And there's a lot of people who maybe either haven't been self-employed for long enough or who haven't quite earned enough yeah. to make the self-employment. And then obviously they've lost out on jobs. And I know the Arts Council have been um, have been amazing, but obviously there's only so much one organisation can give if um, if they're sort of not getting anything back, isn't there? 
Yeah, and, and linking it to interact, I fear, because I've learned a little bit about why people have a stroke and sometimes mm. it just comes out of the blue, no symptoms whatsoever. Mm. I do think we're living under a stressful time. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, financially it's going to get worse because the furloughing is going to stop. Uh, mm. And I think people who went on a mortgage holiday or whatever, they th they've still got to pay that money back. I mean, I think yeah. the pressure is going to be... So I think Interact could be, sadly, very, very busy. I, I do. I think that yeah. our lives are full of stress, you know. Mm. Uh, and we like inter we like interacting with other people. Mm -hmm. We do. It's a different world. It's a different world. It is, but hopefully to end on, um, I feel like we should have ended on your on your Interact joke story because maybe that would have been, it's sort of, been, oh, now we'll doom and gloom. But no, we, we do have faith um, that things will return. For sure, even if it's not in the in the capacity that we that we recognise them, you know. But I, I have the faith. I, I do too, yeah. and I think um, it might make us use more initiative, um, and our resources. Yeah. Because we we are a determined bunch, I feel, mm. in the art. And it, um, as I said earlier, it, when you're working, it's the best job in the world. But it it, it can be hard when you're you ain't got a job. Yeah, I, I know yeah. I've been lucky. I've been incredibly lucky, so. Um, well, as I uh, said, you've also had the nerve to uh, <laughs> the nerve to ask for things and and sort of and and the dare I say the hustle and the and the sort of you know to to get things done. I've never admitted that publicly before that I'd lie to direct the first show, but there you are. Well, hey, if you, if you ever want to cut it out, then we can totally. No, no, in. I don't mind now. They can't really blame me now, can they? <laughs> No, exactly. I don't think there's any danger of them taking the job away from you. So great. No. Ian. It's really nice to meet you. It was wonderful to meet you. And I genuinely could. Near Jay wasn't kidding when he said that you had anecdotes, but I'm sure I haven't even heard a quarter of them. But um I think you're lucky that you haven't. No, honestly, what um what an interesting man you are. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me. It's my pleasure. Really nice to meet you. That was Ian Tolbert in conversation with Megan Mackay-Smith. You can buy tickets to Jack and the Beanstalk, directed by Ian Tolbert, at Panto Online. That's www.pantoonline.co.uk. And Jack and the Beanstalk is available from the 4th of December until the 10th of January 2021. And we've also provided a link to Panto Online in the description box. That's www.pantoonline.co.uk. For more information on our work, please do visit our website at www.interactstrokesupport.org. And if you're feeling generous, please do click on the big red donate button. We very much look forward to your company on the next edition of Right Side of the Brain.